Jimmy Garoppolo getting his first action here in the entertainment capital of the world. The world. Touchdown, Las Vegas. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. Airs it out down the middle for Adams. Got it. Inside at the 10. Devontae. Touchdown. What a play on fourth down. It's time to get your daily prescription. Prescription. From the doctor. Yes, where are we at? Hump day. Hump day. Everybody give me a hump day. Everybody do some humping. We're pumping here. We got plenty to talk about today. Football championship weekend right around the corner on Sunday. Looking forward to it. We'll talk more. Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens, Detroit Lions, San Francisco 49ers. Trevor Maddich will join us today. We'll be breaking it down. With the uh, former NFL player, and of course, Trevor with ESPN, with the fine job he does on the college side, but uh, we'll talk some NFL football with him today. Chris Matthews will join us from 8 News Where? Now! He just got done with his now, now, a little while ago, covering the Raiders press conference announcing their new general manager and head coach. So a dual press conference today. So Chris Matthews from 8 News Now will join us. And we celebrate the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame, even though we're in Vegas. But as we know, the show, obviously, border to border, coast to coast, and uh, have a huge listenership there in Sacramento, my hometown. Leon Lee will join us today as uh, we will talk to one of the greatest uh, uh, American-born players to play in Japan, Leon was also the depicted in the movie, the 1992 movie Mr. Baseball. Tom Selleck played? That was Leon Lee. They can make the argument it was Leon Lee or his brother Lee Ron Lee. But they were both there at that time, uh, involved in that Hollywood movie, making that movie. So we'll talk to him about that. But had a great 17-year uh, baseball career between the St. Louis Cardinals and then a 10-year career in Japan. And Leon Lee, the father of Derek Lee, which I know makes Nunchuck very happy. I'm extremely happy about that. One of the most uh, historic baseball families in Sacramento, California, the Lee family. Yeah, Lee Ron and Leon, who just dominated the Japanese Professional Baseball League, uh, were great high school players, collegiate players, and uh, d- took their talents over to Japan when it wasn't fashionable to do that. You know, going back into the 70s and the 80s, and they really like laid the groundwork for other American players to go over there. So it'll be a, a very good, interesting conversation with Leon Lee today. So he will join us as well. All right, so. Uh, Plenty on tap here for you today. But we start the show off talking about breaking news. The Raiders named their new general manager and head coach in a dual press conference today. Tom Telesco, formerly of the Chargers, is now the Raiders general manager. Uh, We knew he was part um, of the candidates for this job. We're not exactly sure if the Raiders are going to go in this direction. They do. So we'll talk about that. And then, of course, Antonio Pierce introduced at the same press conference today. All right. Let's talk about the general manager position first. Tom Telasco. He has experience. He becomes the Raiders' fifth general manager in their history. It doesn't seem like many. Remember, the Raiders pretty much went without a general manager for many, many years, decades. Actually, you know, Al Davis was everything. He was the owner. He was the general manager. So when you hear that, I know it catches some people off guard saying, what? They've only had five general managers in their history? That is true. And Tom Telasco is the latest. Now, his background, 29 years in the NFL. He spent the last 11 years as the general manager of the Chargers. I think that's big, all right? 11 years as a GM of the Chargers. During his time in San Diego and Los Angeles, he led the Chargers to three playoff appearances, two postseason victories. 
But what I've always been pretty impressed with, with Telasco, is the draft. All right? Now, his draft with the Chargers, he drafted six players in the first round that went on to be selected to the Pro Bowl. And he had Jason uh, Verrett, Melvin Gordon, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, uh, Justin Herbert, Rashawn Slater. Those were all his guys. Those were his picks. All in 2022. That uh, Actually, in 2022, he built a roster that featured eight former Pro Bowlers that were acquired through the draft trades and free agency. So he likes the draft. He's done a pretty good job, you know. When you look at those names that, that he drafted, you know, especially when you look at Melvin Gordon and Joey Bosa, Derwin James, and Justin Herbert, and even Rashawn Slater, all rock-solid players. But he will build through for agency as well, too. Now, before his time with the Chargers, he spent 15 years with the Colts. He served their vice president of football operations. He was also the director of player personnel prior to that. Director of scouting before that. He was a pro scout going back to the early 2000s. And uh, this is a guy that was involved in those Colts drafts that selected Edger and James, five-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Reggie Wayne, seven-time Pro Bowler Dwight Freeney. He was a beast, wasn't he? Tremendous tight uh, defensive end. And four-time Pro Bowl quarterback Andrew Luck. So during his time in Indianapolis, the Colts played in two Super Bowls. They won eight division titles and appeared in the playoffs 12 times while Telasco was was part of the Colts. And that experience led him to the job with the Chargers, which he did a pretty good job. And we'll get to, to the negative side here pretty soon. But what I find interesting about this is that the Raiders and Mark Davis went for an experienced general manager that had previous GM experience. I thought that was huge. We're talking about Champ Kelly, who was the interim guy, came over here, worked underneath um, Dave Ziegler from the Patriots and Josh McDaniel. Champ Kelly served on the interview panel for the head coach and Antonio Pierce, and I'm sure Champ Kelly probably thought he had a legitimate shot to get it, and maybe people in the building thought that as well too. But when it was all said and done, Mark Davis said, you know, I can maybe take a shot with a rookie head coach and I'm buying into his passion, him being a former player, and that the current players want to play for him. Okay, I'll buy into that to a certain degree. And Mark bought it all the way and said, okay, you're our head coach. But now, GM, I'm not going to make those same mistakes that we've had in the past. When you go to Mike Mayock, never been a GM before, all right? Dave Ziegler, never been a GM before, all right? You go back to Reggie McKenzie, good friend of mine, loved him in Green Bay, but Reggie was never a GM before. So this is the first time that I know that the Davises, and here Mark Davis, has hired a general manager with a lot of experience to basically be in charge of the roster and building the roster of this team. So talking about that roster, there is a charger right now that should come home. Can you imagine that dream team? Mm. Mm. Okay. Crosby and Mac. I know. I hear where you're going here. He's I, only, I, I think it's 38, five is yeah. what is what the hit yeah. would be. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they would have to make some moves. But could you imagine Mac and Crosby together? That would be phenomenal. It would be insane. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. And because you've had some change in the direction and change of personnel, you know, would you have Mac that would want to come back? I mean, that would, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's tough. That's tough because well, Mac's been with them for fifteen years. Well, well, how long has he been in in L.A.? What in the Chargers? In the Chargers, well, in the last couple of years because Mary was in, yeah, Chicago he was in Chicago before that. Yeah, so he's yeah. been with them for a while. So I mean, he's got that time with him. So there's that experience that he's got with. Okay, him. but when Khalil Mack was with the Raiders, they were based in Oakland. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was still under Mark Davis's watch. 
Okay. You had John Gruden there. Okay. So now Gruden's gone. Mayock is gone. That could have been maybe a, a con as well, too. Yeah. Because we saw that Khalil Mack basically didn't want to play for the Raiders anymore. You know, going back to that final summer in Napa where he said, you know what? I, I, I don't want to be here. And Gruden says, listen, if you don't want to be here, then fine. We don't want you. And I loved that stance from Gruden at that point in time. We talked about it, you know, during the time. So then now he's made two other stops in the NFL, Chicago and the Chargers. You're thinking just because Antonio Pierce is the coach or, or what? What do you think? I'm thinking Pelasco. Because of Telasco? Telasco, yeah. I'm thinking Telasco has the LA experience. He could bring him. He might want to come back. Yeah. And that career in where he started. Yeah. Here's the thing about that. When you're not there and you don't cover a team, you really don't know what the relationships yeah. are like. All right. You don't know if Telasco and Khalil Mack were on the same page or not. But to your point, they did acquire him. Telasco acquired him yeah. from Chicago. So that might mean something. But you're saying hometown. You're talking, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I'm not Las saying home. I, I'm I mean, just meaning bring him, yeah. bring him home to you, the Raiders. What you should have said is former Raider. Former Raider. Come back here. Come back. Join Max Crosby there on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. I can see that. I like that. Would I it be a, that. You, in your opinion, yeah. that happens. Are they a top three defense? They need more than that. They, they well, I know second, they need more they than need, that. They need secondary help, but that's that's off to a good start. Because yeah. remember, the Raiders' big flaw has been for a long, long time the secondary. And when you went after when Mayock went after all of those defensive backs in the first round, second rounds, like they all had checkered past. You know, they had checkered past. And by the way, I'm not the only one saying this. It's all over X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That, hey, he's bringing them back. Well, so, I mean. I'll tell you what, that Tom Telasco in his press conference today, he didn't allude to that. What he did allude to in the press conference today was that he is, needs to know this roster. He goes, he's only seen this roster and seen his team play as a guy on the other side. When the Chargers have faced the Raiders twice per season, that's that's all he's seen. He goes, it's totally different, you know, now to be over on this side and now say, okay, now I got to dive into the roster. He's an experienced guy, twenty nine years in the NFL. He's had a variety of positions, but he's had this position for a very long time, eleven years as a general manager. I like the move, I really do. This is a good thing for the Raiders. Because you are now saying, we have an experienced general manager. We're not going with another experiment. We're not going to go with a guy who is maybe an assistant in the player personnel department. No, this guy's a general manager. This guy's done it. This guy is involved in negotiating contracts. He's uh, has structured the draft strategy. He has made those selections in the draft. This guy is a true pro at his job. He's not an interim guy. He's not an experiment. So I like it. But now we look at the other side. He got fired. He got fired in the middle of the season. He got fired here in Las Vegas when the Raiders were playing the Chargers and the Raiders destroyed the Chargers when the Raiders put up 63 points and that team was a mess. Now, was Tom Telasco deservedly let go? We don't know. Don't know that situation. Don't even want to speculate on that. But we know that a lot of the blame for that went on the head coach, Brandon Staley. All right? Staley was not a good coach. He was a risk taker. Obviously didn't have command of the locker room. Wasn't a great play caller at all. One of the worst, you could say, with his decision to go for it on fourth down, whether he had analytics department in his head or whatever. It just did not work. And they were humiliated not just because of Brandon Staley, but because the team was a mess this year, especially from the midpoint of the season on. And the Raiders put up 63 points against them, franchise record. Now, after that game, <laughs> we joked, like, at halftime, Brandon Staley was probably fired. But it was a joint dismissal between with Telasco as well as Staley. So my question is, 
why did the Chargers feel the need to get rid of their general manager? Did they feel that it's been stale because he was there 11 years, it was time for a change? Or was he putting, you know, basically saying, hey, you and Staley are tied together? Which I can kind of understand because what did Mark Davis do? Ziegler, McDaniels, you're tied together at the hip. You're both gone. We needed a fresh start. So it's funny how both of these franchises in the same division, you know, 350 miles apart, made the exact same move with their head coach and general manager in the second half of the season. Very strange. Weeks apart that this happened. So my question is, why did Tom Telasco hire Brandon Staley? That is a big question that I'd love to have answered. You know, why? He had to be your choice. Now, if you say that he wasn't your choice, well, wait a minute, you are the general manager, but we know that things do happen where sometimes ownership gets involved or, you know, team president gets involved and they want they want to have that ultimate say about who the head coach is. Brand Stately had no business being a head coach. And because... Telasco hired him. Telasco lost his job as well, too. That would be the only baggage. I thought when Telasco was part of those Colts staffs, they drafted some really, really good players, and he had his hands in that. When he was in charge of the Chargers, we mentioned, you know, I thought Derwin James, very good player. Obviously, Justin Herbert. I mean, that's that's a call that probably anybody could have made because they were drafting so high there. And they scored with that quarterback. And Joey Bosa, the exact same thing. Melvin Gordon, I was kind of hot and cold on. You know, again, seeing Melvin Gordon play at Wisconsin. And, you know, he had some issues, especially holding on to the football. And, you know, there were some some tirades uh, behind the scenes with Gordon. Uh, there, the timing with the Chargers. But you do have an experienced GM. So that's got to be good. Mark Davis will take a look at this. He'll analyze it. And say, okay, I'm going with an experienced guy. Let's see what he does. But just to kind of paint the picture, a general manager is in charge of basically all of the football operations. Okay? He's in charge of player personnel. He's in charge of setting up that scouting department. He is coming over here and inheriting pretty much a mess when you think about it. Now, they raised goo, got some good players. Okay? They drafted a couple good players, signed a couple good good free agents. Obviously, Devonta Adams, the head of that class, Max Crosby, head of the class. When you're talking about free agents and also guys that were drafted, but there were a lot of bad drafts under the watch of Mike Mayock, and you can never judge a draft, until, in my opinion, until three years down the road. I always say that, but early signs were that the Dave Ziegler couple drafts not so good, but time will tell with that. But basically, you have a roster that you need to make an overhaul with. It's a new guy. It's a new philosophy. It's a veteran guy. He may come in here and say, look at this roster and say, wait a minute. We need to upgrade at all these spots. Okay? You don't know. So I think this is a a major undertaking, and this is not a fix that can happen within the next four or five months. doesn't happen like that. Starts with your scouting department too, okay? Who are my scouts? Get to meet with all of those guys. You know, maybe, you know, again, you're going to bring in your own guys. This guy has 29 years of NFL experience. He's going to bring some guys that he worked with from the Chargers, the Colts, other people that he knows throughout the NFL. And uh, that's that's probably what he's going to do. Now, as far as the coach goes, Antonio Pierce, he got a chance to meet with the media for his first time, taking that interim tag off of him today. And again, it was a dual press conference with both Pierce and Telasco. Antonio Pierce is excited. All right, He was auditioning for the job. He got the job. He was very excited about getting the job. We always end all our victories in a certain way in the locker room. So we got a packed house here. We'll see how everybody's vocal cords work. So stay with me. Ready? Ready! 
Antonio Pierce delivered that today. He's he's looking like the the former player right now. And Telasco is sitting to his right, and Telasco is just kind of like nodding, like, okay. Didn't know we were going to do that today, <laughs> but, but it's okay. But as far as Antonio Pierce, all right, he auditioned for the job. He got the job. Mark Davis had this to say. Uh, my intuitions played out. I was excited about him then. Players, alumni, fans, everybody in this office, when you take all that into account, it was unanimous. In fact, he earned it. Right person, right place, right time. I agree with Mark with that. You know, right person, right place, right time. And he galvanized that locker room. He got players wanting to play for him. But my question is, and I'm sure that, you know, Mark wonders this as well, too. So I had to take a sweet time. Can he coach? Can he coach? Can he now hire a staff? Because he's going to be in charge of hiring staff. Along with Telasco, they will be in charge of hiring a coaching staff. They're going to have a new offensive coordinator. Quarterback coach, probably offensive line coach, probably all, all in the offense. On the defensive side, you don't know it because he might want to retain the defensive coordinator because Antonio Pierce was on that side and he was the linebackers coach. Now, how do you think that works from a, I don't know, morale standpoint? You're the linebackers coach. You're working for the DC. You're working for the head coach. The head coach gets fired. You get elevated over the defensive coordinator to be the interim head coach. And now the guy that was your immediate boss, the defensive coordinator, do you retain him or do you say, hey, you know, I'm going to go elsewhere? I think it depends on the partnership, honestly. Like if if it was, if they were friends and stuff like that, you keep them. If it was kind of like that, you, right, you know, right. You, yeah. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know what that dynamic uh, was like. But if we're talking about building resumes and you're talking about, you know, the defense, they improved. There's no question. They improved. They did. They did. But Antonio Pierce was five and four as a his time as head coach. Was he able to basically pull all the strings that he wanted to? We got that feeling that probably not. Didn't get, he didn't play Jimmy Garoppolo. Was that instructions from above not to do that? So interesting, interesting. Because right now, this entire organization is taking a different approach here. They went with an experienced general manager for the very first time. All right. You've got a rookie head coach, which Raider fans have been through this many, many times. All right. And what is the relationship going to be like? with Telasco and Pierce. They don't know each other. They've never worked together. And now you're sitting here saying, okay, guys, go figure it out. Our good friend, Paul Gutierrez, who will uh, be joining us here in the next couple of days. He asked uh, Mark Davis how important it was to have a veteran GM with a rookie head coach. And Mark said, I was uncomfortable with the concept of a rookie GM and a rookie coach, but I didn't ever say I wouldn't do it. Number one, I had to get the right guy at the right time to fit the Raiders. All right. So interesting, too, that usually when teams are reconstructing and you're hiring a new head coach and a new general manager, you hire a general manager first, normally what you do. But Mark did say, he goes, you know, he went through this exact same thing just two seasons ago with McDaniels and Ziegler. And they went, okay, tag team, Patriot way. This is totally different. You're bringing a guy who played in the NFC, won a Super Bowl with the Giants, was went to high school, coached at Long Beach Poly, went as an assistant college coach under Herm Edwards at Arizona State. Now he got brought in by Josh McDaniels, obviously who was let go. And now... He is the Raiders head coach. You have a general manager who came over from one of your nemesis in the Chargers and built a pretty good roster with that team, but they didn't win. See, the biggest problem with the Chargers were they were always injured. Always injured. And you look at the roster and you go, wow, this, this team is going to be good every year. You know, coming into September, 
What do people say? Well, the Chiefs, but watch out for the Chargers. This could be the year. Yeah, it could be the year that they rival the Chiefs or they catch the Chiefs. So this is a different dynamic, obviously. So Tom Telasco, I like it. Uh, Veteran GM, let's see what he does. He's got to get his staff together, get ready for the draft coming up here in April, and then start making some free agent moves as well, too. So he's hired two weeks before the Super Bowl. See how all this thing uh, works out here. But, yes, first-year head coach with a veteran general manager. Let's see how this dynamic uh, plays out. All right, a lot of other NFL news today, too. Uh, Joe Barry out as Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. Talked about it. That was part of the handicap the last couple weeks going against the Packers, even though they played well you know, in their, their two playoff games. Uh, Matt LaFleur looking now for his third defensive coordinator in six years. Their defense was ranked 17th this year. But the reason why Joe Barry was gone because the run defense was just pitiful, they were 28th in the NFL. Four teams ran for over 200 yards against the Packers during this last season. And uh, probably came to a halt, really, after the Packers got beat by Tampa Bay during the course of the regular season. That game was embarrassing. Packers lost 34-20 to at Lambeau Field. And then they gave up 30 points to the Carolina Panthers, a team that scored zero against Tampa Bay in the last regular season game. Uh, you know, when you look at Joe Barry, he wasn't didn't have a really good run in his time with the Lions in Washington as well. He was the defensive coordinator for those two teams. They ranked near the bottom at that point in time. But uh, Packer fans have been clamoring for that. And it's funny, they, you know, when I brought this up last couple of weeks ago, well, wait a minute, Packers defense is pretty good. No, no, not really. But there's just been this disconnect. And uh, we knew it was coming after the season. Didn't matter how far the Packers went, Joe Barry was going to be out. So he's out. More breaking news. Tennessee hires Brian Callahan officially as their head coach. Five years as the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Bengal, rather the uh, Titans are looking for a guy to develop Will Levis. So writing on the wall, Ryan Tannehill out of Tennessee. And you kind of saw that as this year you know, progressed. Tannehill started the season off injured. It was all Will Levis. Some good, some bad with that. All right. More breaking news. Defensive coordinator Vic Fangio out in Miami. It lasted one year there and a mutual agreement, parting of the ways between goofball Mike McDaniel and Vic Fangio. You knew this thing wasn't going to work out. I mean, come on. You can just see it. The veteran in Fangio, the rookie in McDaniel. Yeah. One year, parting ways, and Vic Fangio will go get another job probably tomorrow. And look for Vic Fangio to be the defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. Here's a funny story. Last year, um, after the regular season ended with Fangio, because remember Fangio is in Denver and other places, uh, he was the consultant for the Eagles in that playoff run. They hired him to be a consultant to go to the Super Bowl. So... Probably go back there. He lives in Pennsylvania. He wants to be close to home. So Vic Fangio uh, out as defensive coordinator with the Dolphins, and he will probably end up in Philadelphia. All right, we got NBA news. We've got all kinds of stuff to talk about as well today. Trevor Match will join us when we come back. We'll get his thoughts uh, regarding the Raiders. But more importantly, we are going to break down the two championship games coming up on Sunday, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Detroit and San Francisco. We do that next. The Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame celebration is back Sunday, February 4th at Thunder Valley Casino. Meet and greet the class of 2024. Matt Barnes, James Donaldson, Leon Lee, and Jamie Whitmore. Don't miss Sacramento's best sports night of the year. Food served between 6 and 7 p.m. Live entertainment with comedian Dennis Caxiola. Get your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com for the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame celebration Sunday night, February 4th. All info, go to SacSportsHOF.com. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. Wow, that's the best news I heard in a dog's age. The Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, back at the Westgate Las Vegas inside the Superbook. Coming your way on Friday, of course, 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, get ready for our best bet. That's right. One best bet. Cider total coming your way on Friday. Join myself. 
Marco D'Angelo, Jay Cornegay, and our next guest as well, who will join us here today, like he does traditionally on Wednesdays when he has the time. Appreciate that. The one and only Trevor Maddich. Trev, what's going on, my friend? TC, man. I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. Okay, as you know... Um, we've got, uh, you know, news here in Las Vegas today. The joint press conference held, uh, the Raiders facility today with, um, Mark Davis announcing that, uh, Tom Telasco, the former general manager of the Chargers, who had a long stint also with the Colts, one of your former teams, uh, back in the day, 29 years in this league, uh, is the new general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. He becomes the fifth general manager in Raiders history, which isn't, Many general managers, is it, Trev, when you think about it, when Al Davis pretty much controlled all of that. But a lot of people look at that and say, what? The Raiders only had five GMs? Well, that, that, that's true. So, uh, he's named general manager. Then you have Antonio Pierce, uh, formally introduced today as well as the official, uh, head coach of the Raiders. So it was a joint press conference. They both, uh, were there today. I'm very curious, um, about your take about, um, this combination. You know, I think when you've got an experienced general manager to go with a, a first-time young head coach, you've got a good thing there. And and everything I've been able to gather from Mark Davis is that he wants the GM to have the final say in personnel decisions. So we'll see what you know what how things turn out from that standpoint. But I think that would be important because when you look at a a young head coach in college, it's difficult for them when they're coaching at a high-level program. Because in college, the head coach has his hands in every single thing, on the field and off the field. In the NFL, you've got the the GM and to, and the, to pick players, if that's the way it's set up. You've got the scouting department to do the lion's share of the scouting. You've got them for college scouting. You've got another part of the scouting department that does nothing but scout NFL players in case they become free agents or they get cut. There's all kinds of things that happen in support of a young head coach on the NFL level that takes a lot off of his plate so he can focus from his office down through the locker room for the most part. So I think that's a good thing. I think they're gonna, it's going to be very important who they choose as an offensive coordinator because when you look at, at the way head coaching jobs have happened recently, I think sort of the template is to go with an offensive guy. You've got Kyle Shanahan, of course, over at, the 49ers, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, Sean McVay at the Rams, and others. The Titans just hired uh, Ryan Callahan, the offensive coordinator, of, former offensive coordinator of, of the Bengals. And the reason they've done that, T.C., in part, is because the hardest position in the NFL uh, to play well is, of course, quarterback. And when you've got a young quarterback, if you've got an offensive coordinator who excels, it's quite likely that somebody's going to snatch him up and make him a head coach, and now you've got a new offensive coordinator coming in. And how much of a change in the system, in the terminology, in the things that young quarterback is asked to do from a a standpoint of the nuances that he needs to know in order to succeed at that position. And those things rotate and they change. And very famously, some of the you know, some of the highest profile quarterbacks in the league have rotated offensive coordinators in recent years. And that's, that's just not a good thing. And so from a standpoint of uh, having a head coach who's an offensive guy, so that when the offensive coordinators go off to become head coaches somewhere else, the offense remains largely the same. That's not something that the Raiders are going to have access to because Antonio Pierce is a defensive guy. So bringing in the offensive staff and, making sure that they can retain those guys so that whoever's playing quarterback for the Raiders can have years with the same system, years with the same terminology, years with the same guys. That's going to be a very important part of the development of this team under Antonio Pierce. No, you're right. And I think, you know, a lot of Raider fans don't like to hear and they don't actually are thinking that, you know, this is a a rebuild project, but it really is. When you have a rookie head coach and again, you just have blown up the entire staff and now you're talking about, you know, the front office, you're hiring a new general manager. There is so 
many moving parts here that both guys, I mean, have to dive in here. I mean, you know, from a coaching staff, I mean, you know, Antonio Pierce is going to, you know, want to bring in his own, his own guys. I'm sure about that. Cause remember, he was just part of the Josh McDaniel staff and, uh, you know, they weren't happy with Bo Hardegree, who was the quarterback coach, got elevated offensive coordinator. So they've got to work on that element. And then, you know, the defensive side of the ball, you're not sure how many people are going to retain with that. And as you know, as a head coach, you know, you want to have your, your imprint and your voice uh, on everything there. And everybody, not one person had any, Real ties to Antonio Pierce. I mean, he was a linebacker coach. He jumps over the defensive coordinator to be the interim head coach, and now he's got to be in charge of both sides of the ball and hiring that staff. Now, I'm sure Telasco, you know, will be involved obviously heavily with okay selecting that staff, and now he's got to you know do his own staff. I mean, he's got to look at the scouting department. He's got to say, okay, let me look at these guys um, because you know he knows nothing about this organization. Just because he was in the division, it's totally different, you know, knowing your personnel and looking to, you know, across the sideline and you think, you know, the other team's personnel, it's going to take him a, a lot of time and effort to construct a staff. So you're talking about a major overhaul here, you know, on the field, in that locker room and upstairs as well. Yeah, and I like Antonio Pierce. But I think Telasco is going to have to carry a lot of water for him when it comes to putting together that coaching staff because Antonio Pierce has not been in the league from a coaching standpoint that long. I mean, he can't have right. a really you know well-stocked Rolodex of guys that he knows, that he's coached with in the past, that he can draw from as potential guys that he wants to bring in. I mean, he's kind of learning new guys himself. And I think Telasco will help because of his experience. And that's, that's a very important thing because the, 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 not the continuity, but the, the choreography of the coaching staff is very important. I mean, how well they work together. And a lot of times you, you go to the well, you go to the Rolodex of guys that you've coached with in the past. Well, Pierce, that's not something that he can really draw from. Now, what he does draw from is that locker room. Right now, I mean, they, the, the players, by all account, are very happy that he's the guy. You know, a lot of players in that locker room were vocal that they wanted him to be elevated to the head coach. And that's good because those players then take ownership. But keep this in mind, too, that when a new general manager comes in, and a new head coach, but it's a little bit different in this case, because I think, I think Pierce has a good relationship with the locker room already. But when a new general manager comes in, he tells the team, what a family they're going to be. But what he's really thinking is you guys got the last GM fired. That includes you coaches and you're not going to get me fired. I'm going to bring in my guys. And if I get fired at some point, it's going to be because of my choices, not the choices of the previous GM. They got him fired kind of a thing. So for all the goodwill that Pierce has in the locker room, and he does have it, that you can expect there to be a fair amount of turnover and a bunch of new guys coming in and a new culture that will have to be built. Now, the guys that will remain are guys that will teach the new guys what they love about Antonio Pierce. So I think that that'll really help. But I guess in saying this, for Raiders fans looking at it, there's a lot of excitement when you've got new blood coming in. But at the same time, there's more unknowns with this team than there are knowns. And it's going to take a while to get this thing built up. Well said. Trevor Mass joins us. All right, Trev, uh, we look forward to the championship uh, Sunday coming up here. Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, and SF. Uh, let's let's talk about this, this uh, weekend here. And how much of a surprise are the Detroit Lions to you as they get ready to take on the San Francisco 49ers? They are a huge surprise. I mean, historically, they're just awful. I mean, historically, they've never been to a Super Bowl in the in the uh, Super Bowl era. Just have never been. As a matter of fact, what they haven't won a um, uh, a home playoff game uh, since what 1957, or it's been yep. forever. And so, you know, fans, Detroit fans. I mean, you have got to give them more credit than anything for sticking with this team and loving this team for so many years of ineptitude. And they've had good head coaches. They've had really good players. I mean, Barry Sanders, you know, they, they've had, I mean, Lois Brown is calling, who's uh, calling their games now. He's, 
uh, offensive tackle for them. They've had great players there. Megatron, for goodness sake. Uh, Calvin Johnson, a wide receiver. Great players. They've had good head coaches. They've rotated through GMs, and they still haven't been able to bust the grape in the playoffs uh, when they get there, which is rare. And so this is, for the fans, just absolutely wonderful. And I'm super excited for them. I played one year in Detroit. It was kind of a way for me to get out of New England uh, and uh, and transition to the rest of my career and restart it. So there's stories there. But that was Barry Sanders' rookie year, and I was playing uh, short yardage tight end, or short yardage goal line tight end for them. So I was on the field for a fair amount of, of Barry's touchdowns. And I'll tell you, the, the fans for Detroit were second to none. They were just phenomenal. And I'm so happy for them. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what kind of shot do you give them going on the road to San Francisco, who wasn't overly impressive last week in their victory over the Packers? Tough. Tough for them. Uh, This is a team who's built basically on offense and stopping the run. And on offense, it's built on explosive speed, not just a wide receiver, but also at running back. And when you're indoors on carpet, man, you can get everything out of that. They haven't been on the road since week 14, I think, and they ended up scoring like 13 points at Chicago right. uh, on grass. Well, no, they haven't been on the road, but they haven't played outdoors on grass. And so now they're going to play outdoors um, you know, on the road in Santa Clara against the 49ers, and so that, that goes against them. Uh, when you look at other matchups, uh, it, it's kind of weird because the 49ers on defense, uh, they excel at, at limiting deep passes, but it's kind of strange that the Lions, for all their passing game is done, they don't really throw the ball deep down the field all that much. So it's going to be a different kind of a battle. I'm, I'm thinking that Detroit will try to exploit the run. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the league. They've got a two-headed uh, monster at running back in David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. And we're not talking just run the ball, but we're talking out of the backfield as well. Gibbs at Alabama was absolutely phenomenal as a receiver as a running back, and he is now with Detroit. And so the 49ers defense, teams that can run, have been able to run the ball pretty well against them. And so I expect this to be uh, kind of an old-school foundation for the Lions offense to try to try to pound the ball. Uh, and so uh, that's what I expect from the Lions. On the, on the other side, the 49ers, the big question is Debo Samuel. Uh, you know, they're a hybrid wide receiver running back. He just does everything, and he's got a hurt shoulder. And he went out in the first quarter last week against the Packers, and the 49ers offense struggled. Now, give the Packers defense credit. They've played well in the playoffs. But at the same time, you would expect 49ers to, to have done a lot better. And how much of that was the fact that they didn't have Samuel available? How much of that might be that they expected to run a lot of the game plan through Samuel? And when he wasn't there, they had to go to plan B, and they weren't really as ready for that as maybe they should have been. I don't, I don't know. But I do know that the, um, the 49ers and Samuel will be a big part of it. Then when you look at the 49 or excuse me, the, the Lions defense, They've been good against the run, but how much of that is because they're that good against the run and that, or that teams are just throwing the ball against the Lions also remains to be seen because the Lions secondary has just been gouged, just absolutely gouged. And so the 49ers, you know, they'll, they'll run the ball because that's part of Shanahan's, you know, head coach Kyle Shanahan. That's part of his DNA. He wants to establish the run. And for goodness sake, he has Christian McCaffrey at running back, but he's going to be tempted to throw the ball a lot more than he runs it because this secondary of Detroit has just been lit up. Now they, they did a good job in limiting Tampa last week. But this is a 49ers offense that has a lot more weapons coming from a lot more places. And I just see with Shanahan calling the plays and game planning for it, the, the key for the Lions to win this thing at all is going to be to make sure that the short passing plays and medium passing plays do not turn into long touchdowns because yards after the catch in that secondary is going to be absolutely critical to limit. You know, Trev, we... T- 
when you talk about Brock Purdy, you know, he's the, you know, we, we got four quarterbacks in this round here. Three are first round picks. And then you have the guy that was picked last in this draft. And, you know, Purdy has looked good, okay, in his time in San Francisco and, you know, felt bad because he got injured in that game against Philadelphia last year at this stage. And then now you've got, you know, the Niners one game away from going to the Super Bowl there at home. And Purdy did not look really good against the Packers. I mean, he was short on balls. He was tentative. Didn't look like he had a, a whole bunch of confidence. Now, again, you lose Debo Samuel. That hurt them. Probably he will not play this weekend. He didn't practice. You know, today Debo Samuel didn't. So there's a lot of question marks here. And I, you said something there about the Lions, you know, with that secondary. It's like this could be a spot where Purdy can maybe get away with some of the mistakes he made last week against that Lions secondary. But how do you think he fares in this game against the Lions? I kind of get the impression that Coach Shanahan will kind of rein him in a little bit because Purdy cannot win this game. Purdy can lose this game, but he can't win this game, in my opinion. He's going to have to just distribute and take what's there and let his skilled people do the work. If Purdy decides that he wants to show the world what a great quarterback he is and go back there and and put on display his fantastic arm, then he might end up being in some trouble. But I think he's smart enough to know that this 49ers offense has succeeded with him in part because he has not been Mr. Joe Playmaker. He's been Mr. Joe Distributor and Mr. Joe Protect the Ball. And you're right, against Green Bay, he didn't perform well, even though Samuel was out for, you know, three-plus quarters. But at the same time, he did have that last drive uh, at the end to win the game. You know, he had a late, a late touchdown drive that was critical for their team. And so I think that Purdy, I'm still not sold on him as being a a, a franchise quarterback as being a top-tier guy, even though he's gotten all the accolades, even though his numbers are very, very good. He also has a defense that keeps him from having to do too much, and it's tough on quarterbacks when the other side knows that you have to throw. When you're in desperation mode and most of your playbook is out the window and you've just got to drop back and try to make something happen, well, that's tough on quarterbacks, and that doesn't happen to Purdy all that much. Then you've got Curtis Samuel, who, or excuse me, um, Christian McCaffrey, who not just is one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the league, he's also phenomenal coming out of the backfield. So he's a, a matchup nightmare, which makes any quarterback look better than they actually are just by knowing where he is to throw him the ball. Then you've got an offensive line led by a Hall of Famer left tackle in Trent Williams uh, and a tight end in Kittle who gets lost in the in the shuffle to Travis Kelsey because Kittle's not dating Taylor Swift, I guess. But Kittle is one of the best tight ends in the league, and these are security blankets for quarterbacks. And so you put all that together, I am not trying to take anything away from Purdy. It's just that I'm not yet convinced that if they're missing – a lot of their weapons, if their offensive line is struggling, if it, if they're behind, if it's on Purdy to get it done, I'm I'm not convinced that he can go out there and be Patrick Mahomes and or be you know uh, um, Lamar Jackson and put the team on his shoulders and carry it. What he's shown is that he is outstanding at enabling all those other great players. And that probably will be good enough against the Lions. All right. All right. Let's talk about the uh, Chiefs and the Ravens. Marquee matchup, no doubt about it. Uh, who do you like in this one and why? Well, I like the Ravens um, because the Chiefs just have some holes. Um, as well as the receivers have played last week for the Chiefs, especially Rashi Rice uh, against Buffalo, they, he's a rookie. And he's going against the best defense in the league, certainly the best defense in the AFC. And I think that's going to be a place where it's going to be all on Mahomes, and it's going to be two guys for him to throw to, essentially. And that's Kelsey at tight end and the rookie Rice at wide receiver. And Baltimore has all kinds of ways to be able to slow that down. One of the great things when you watch 
Baltimore is that in the regular season, they were one of the top sacking teams in the league, but they didn't blitz very much. It looked like they were going to blitz all the time, though. They had guys up at the line, moving back and forth, threatening to blitz, and then they'd bail guys. Uh, and so they would end up stressing the quarterback's decision-making. They would stress the protection pre-snap, and then they'd bail guys out into coverage. And they were still able to get home and get a whole bunch of sacks. Well, whenever you start to think, well, they're just going to bail, that's when they do come. And all of a sudden the blitz gets there. And when they do blitz, they're very good at it and they get home. And so when you've got that Baltimore defense, they're not going to fool Mahomes. Mahomes is going to know what to do and where to go. The problem is that Rice is not going to know what he's looking at. I'm sorry. Wide receiver is one of the toughest positions to be, uh, to excel at as a rookie because the defenses you face are a lot more complex than you ever do in college. And Rice has really been coming on, especially late in the season. So good for him, but he's never seen anything quite like what he's going to face. Kelsey has, but that means that Baltimore needs to take care of Kelsey and keep an eye on Rice. And with their style of having extra guys back in the secondary to cover, I think they've got all kinds of ways to do that. Now it's a matter of just keeping Mahomes in the pocket. Don't let him break out and extend plays by eight or ten seconds, and you're good to go. So I think that's going to be a key part of the game. And then the other reason I like Baltimore is that is that they're just more intact. You know, they had the first round by. Uh, they're more rested. They they kind of had a romp against Houston last week. It wasn't a tough one down to the wire. And the Chiefs' defense, which was second to Baltimore in, in points per game, I believe, this season, Chiefs' defense has been phenomenal. But they got banged up against Buffalo. They had some guys leave the game. And that's going to be kind of important because Baltimore's offense is very physical. So the question is, how how will they stand up? to that kind of physical pounding. So these are some of the things I'm looking at in this game and part of the reason that right now I'm winning Baltimore. All right. All right. Great stuff, Trev. We appreciate the time as always. We'll look forward to talking with you on Friday and seeing which direction you go with uh, your best bet. Great. Appreciate it, TC. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. There is Trevor Match, one of the best, no question about it. Joins us each and every week. Has for a long, long time. Does a fantastic job on the college side on ESPN, college football, and also, again, Former NFL player, played in the league for 12 years as a center and offensive lineman, tight end, did it all there. And uh, great breaks to, breakdowns there. With the AFC and NFC Championship game, we will continue on with that uh, later on this show and, of course, tomorrow as well and Friday with our best bets. We continue on here. We come back on the other side, and we will uh, – take you over to Henderson and visit with our good friend Chris Matthews from 8 News Now, who was at the press conference today uh, covering that with the Raiders naming their new head coach and general manager. We'll get into that. Plus, we'll talk some baseball next hour as well. Don't you dare go anywhere on a what? Hump Day. Wednesday. Hump Day. Wednesday.